Welcome to Salt and Light with Pastor Rodney Finch. Salt and Light is a radio outreach ministry of Calvary Chapel, Cary. Jesus, speak to me. Open your word and reveal your heart to me. Salt and Light is a series of verse-by-verse studies through the Bible, focusing on its practical application to our everyday lives. Salt and Light is recorded live at Calvary Chapel, Cary, in Apex, North Carolina. Stay tuned. At the end of the program, we will give you information on how to contact us, so be sure to have a pen and paper ready. Today, Pastor Rodney will be teaching from the book of Revelation, chapter 1. So grab your Bibles and follow along. Now with today's teaching, here's Pastor Rodney. There's a tremendous power in symbolic language. For example, it's one thing to say the world political leader is coming. It's another thing to say the beast is coming. I don't know about you, but I go, ooh, ooh, the beast. It's one thing to say the commercial system. It's another thing to say Babylon, the mother of all harlots, the whore. You see, it's a bit more powerful and vivid and arousing of the emotions. It's one thing to say the Christians. It's another thing to say the bride of Christ. You see, it arouses emotions. So it's written in sign and code because it is meant to provide protection, convey information, and arouse emotions. And that's verse 1. In verse 2, John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ to all things that he saw. Blessed is he who reads, circle that, those who hear, circle that, the words of this prophecy and keep, circle that, those things which are written in it. For the time is near. Notice that John is on the island, as I said. He is given this awesome revelation of Jesus. And John says, I bear witness that the things that I saw are true. When he, what he saw, he made signs or pictures of. I suppose for John, the book of Revelation was like watching cable TV from heaven. And he wrote down the things that he saw and the things that he heard. And he bears witness of those things that they are true. It came from heaven. And John wrote what he saw and what he heard. But notice in verse 3, notice this. This is the only book in the Bible, just as a... Side note, this is the only book in the Bible that promises a blessing for simply reading it, hearing it, and keeping it. The only book in the Bible. In other words, if you just sit down and read it, you will receive a blessing. Now, raise your hand if you want to be blessed. If you don't want to be blessed, see me, you need counseling. We all want to be blessed, of course. So, Read the book of Revelation if you want to be blessed. Because the Bible says there's a blessing promised to you. I thank God that John didn't say you get a blessing for reading it, hearing it, and understanding it. The prophecies in this book. I'm glad he didn't say that because there's much of it we speculate and don't understand. But we can be blessed by reading, hearing what we do understand. Amen? So read it. And that's why I believe 
that Satan gets people all stirred up about the book of Revelation. I really believe that. He doesn't want you to get blessed. See, Satan never has a good day. Did you know that? He doesn't wake up in the morning and think, I hope I have a good day today. He doesn't want to have a good day. And he doesn't want you to have a good day. And he doesn't want you to have a good life. And that's why he gets you all, ooh, book of Revelation, spooky, spooky. Man, don't read it, ooh. See, he doesn't want you to read it. He wants you to think it's spooky. He wants you to keep away from it because you won't get a blessing if you don't read it. Someone once said, the devil has turned countless thousands away from this portion of God's word. He doesn't want anyone to read the book that tells of his being cast out of heaven, nor is he anxious for us to read of the ultimate triumph of his number one enemy, Jesus Christ. And I think that's so true. So John says you will be blessed if you read it. Now, the word read it literally means to read out loud. In other words, this book was circulated that it might be read out loud in the churches. It's good to read the scriptures out loud. When I have my devotion time, I read it out loud partly because I want to stay awake. And so I, I mean, it's real practical. I just want to stay awake. So I read it out loud so I can hear me. And I can keep getting it in my heart and get it in my spirit. So it's good. And you'll be blessed if you hear it and keep those things that are written in the book. Now, in verses 4 through 8, John begins the salutation. Let's read that together. Verses 4 through 8, John, to the seven churches which are in Asia... Grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come. And from the seven spirits who are before his throne. And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead. And the ruler over the kings of the earth. To him who loved us. I love that. He loved me. And he washed me, us, from our sins in his own blood. And he has made us kings and priests to his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming with clouds. Notice not in the clouds, with clouds. And every eye will see him. Even they who pierced him. And all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him. Even so, amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. So the salutation. This letter comes to us, John says, by way of Asia or modern day Turkey. And note John is writing to the seven churches of Asia. Now, in biblical numerology, seven is the number of completeness. And as you study this book, you will see the number seven often. You can't read this book and miss the number seven. There are seven spirits that are before the throne, seven vials that are poured out, seven trumpet judgments, seven stars, seven lampstands, seven seals. We have the seven churches in chapters two and three. Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamos, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. And the seven churches represent seven epics in church history or a panoramic view of church history from the apostolic time, Ephesus, to the apostate church of the last days, Laodicea. John gives us seven churches 
to paint the picture of the completed church. Now, only the number seven is significant in Revelation, but it is also significant in the entire Bible. You know, there are seven days in a week. God rested on the seventh day. Slaves were set free at the end of seven years. In Joshua, they marched around the walls of Jericho how many times? Seven. It's a no-brainer. I gave you the answer. (laughs) And what happened? The walls came a-tumbling down. I like that. They came a-tumbling down. Anyways. So John is writing the seven churches in Asia. And he says grace and peace to you from him who is, who was, and who is to come. Now this is a description of God the Father. It speaks of his eternal nature. It has the idea of a timeless being. It's connected with the same, with the name Yahweh in Exodus chapter 2 verse 14. We don't have time to look at it. But Moses said, who shall I say sent me? And God said, I am that I am. He is the Lord God of eternity. He is, John says. He rules the present. He was. He rules the past. And he who is to come, he rules the future. In other words, God rules. So t-shirts and bumper stickers. Girls rule. Guys rule. Heavy metal rules. No. God rules. Amen? He really does. He is present. He was past. And he is to come. The future. And John says grace and peace from the seven spirits who are before the throne. Now, again, seven is the number of completeness. This is a reference to the sevenfold completed work of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer and in Jesus Christ. The seven spirits that are before the throne. Now, Isaiah chapter 11, verses 1 and 2. There shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse. And a branch shall grow out of his roots. The Spirit of the Lord, here's a seven-fold working of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, or the Spirit of understanding, the Spirit of counsel and the Spirit of might, the Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. See, there's a reference there. Now, the sevenfold work of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer and in Jesus Christ. Now, don't make the mistake that a well-known TV evangelist has made, has written books, and I hope that he has rescinded this awful, ungodly, heretical statement that, the, that God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit all have three Holy Spirits. So there's nine. That's what I said when I heard that. I was like, oh, ouch. Come on, dude. There's nine Holy Spirits. Hello? The Bible says there's three. There's there's one Holy Spirit, actually, in three persons. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, all being God. One Holy Spirit, not nine. 
And, and John isn't saying here there's seven Holy Spirits. He's talking about that this is a, a reference. It has seven characteristics. The Spirit of God has seven characteristics and has them in fullness and perfection. And then notice in verses 5 through 8, John gives us, again, seven things concerning Jesus Christ. Did you note that? He is the faithful witness. He is the first begotten from the, of the dead. He is the ruler of the kings of the earth. He loved us. He washed us from our sins in his own blood. He made us kings and priests unto God. To him be glory and dominion forever. Seven things concerning Jesus Christ. Let me deal with them briefly. He's a faithful witness. In other words, what Jesus says is true. It's true. Yeah, he said, I am the truth. He's the only man on the planet, the planet, who said, I am the truth, not I know the way to the truth. He said, I am the truth. I was talking to a guy on a plane on the way over, back home. And, you know, it blows me away what people think about Jesus. I mean, matter of fact, on the way over there, I was talking to this one guy, too. But I was too tired to witness to him because I was really, really exhausted. So, and so on my way back, you know, God said, you know what? You blew it the first time. I'm going to give you another chance, man. And if you don't, you're toast. It's like, okay. So I'm talking to this guy, and it blows me away what people think about Jesus and the opinions that they have about Jesus, what they think. And, you know, Jesus is a, a, a man, a good guy, and, but not God. And he's on par with Buddha and Muslim. I mean, there's many roads that lead to God. Come on, pastor. There's many roads that lead to God. And I said, man, listen, listen, you got to hear me. And I love to talk to people on the plane, as a matter of fact, because it's a captive audience. They can't move their seat. <laughs> You know, they, I mean, what are they, where are they going to go? Are you going to get out? What are you going to do? With 37,000 feet in the air, where are you going to go? Nowhere. So I can just talk to you about Jesus all I want, and you have to listen. It's cool. And so I said, listen, man, come on. Jesus is either who he said he was or he's not. And if he's not... God, then why would you believe anything that he says? If he, lie, if he lies about the fact that he's God, then why would you think he was moral? He's not moral if he's a liar. He's not moral. Don't follow him. Don't do anything he says. Don't listen to him. Count him as a lunatic psycho who needs to be admitted to Dorothea Dix. If he is not who he said he was. He said he is God. Period. And his witness is true. Well, I don't agree with it. So? You don't have to agree with it. He's still true. Let God be true. And every man a liar. Got to make that decision. He is faithful witness. He is the faithful witness. And he is also the firstborn from the dead. Jesus is the first one to rise from the dead in a glorified body. 
Now, he isn't the first one to rise from the grave. We know that Jesus raised the widow's son of Nain. Jesus raised Lazarus and Jairus from the dead. But they were raised in the same body, and they died later. Jesus is the first begotten of the dead in the resurrected, glorified body. He is introduced here as the ruler of the kings of the earth. Before the book of Revelation is over, Jesus will take dominion over every earthly king. When Jesus comes back, Revelation chapter 19, verse 6, says he has on his vest and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. Amen? And Jesus is going to rule someday. And even though the world seems out of control, he still puppets the kings of this earth. He still sets the limits on the kings of the earth. Jesus is the truth teller, the life giver, and the law maker. And he loves us. And he washed us from our sins in his own blood. He loved us. Where? At Calvary's cross. And then notice what happened. When Jesus loved us, he washed us and cleansed us from the deep stain of sin. He didn't whitewash us or cover up our sins. He shed his blood to pay the price and to free us and cleanse us from our sins and to break the chains that held us. And now we can stand before Jesus clean and free from the stain of sin. And he did that with the shedding of his own blood. And notice in the order here, he loved us and then he washed us. You see that? He didn't wash us out of some pity or a sense of duty or an act of goodwill. He loved us while we were dirty and then he washed us clean. God could have wiped us out, not washed us. He could have wiped us out and started all over. But instead he loved us and he washed us clean. I thank God for that. And it would have been enough for God to love us, most certainly, and to wash us clean. But God goes even further and beyond that, and he makes us kings and priests. Literally, this reads, he has made us a kingdom of priests. Jesus is the king, and he will be, and we will be a kingdom of priests in the thousand-year reign of Christ. We are kings, royalty. It speaks of privilege and status and authority. We are priests. We are God's special servants. Like a priest, we represent God to man, and we represent man to God, like a priest, an intercessor, a go-between. And when Jesus comes back to rule the earth, the Bible says we will rule with him, and we will be kings and priests. Notice that. Seven things that Jesus has done for us. And then in verse 7, when he comes back, he is coming, notice, with the clouds, not in the clouds, like he comes to receive us at the rapture of the church and we rise and meet him in the air. He's coming in the clouds. No, we, we, he is coming with the clouds. Jude says when he comes, he is coming. The clouds is a reference to the Christians, millions and millions and millions upon millions of Christians throughout the age. When Jesus comes back in his second coming, he is coming back with Christians. And that speaks of the cloud. Jude said he's coming back with 10,000 of his saints. That's a lot of folks, y'all. He's coming back. 
And when Jesus comes back, we'll be coming with him in a multitude. And when he comes back, the Bible says every eye will see him. You know, when Jesus walked the earth, he never made the front page of the Roman news and disturber. He never did. When he comes back, the Bible says, though, everyone will know it. The whole wide world will know it. Every eye shall see him, and especially the Jewish people. It's at that time that the Jews will know that Jesus is the Messiah. See, they don't know. And even in Israel, talking to these Jews, they don't know. I'm talking to them. They know more about the Bible than I do. And it blows me away. Not that I know that much, but it just blows me away how much they know, but yet they don't know that Jesus is the Messiah. We had a meeting with the one guy at the municipal building, and, and the mayor's assistant, and he said that if he's sitting down, nice guy, nice as he could be. And he said, listen, I know you guys are all Calvary pastors, but don't try to evangelize me. Because he knows. He's already heard it all. But when Jesus comes back, then they will. Zechariah chapter 10, verse, chapter 12, verse 10 I will pour on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplication. Then they will look on me whom they have pierced. Yes, they will mourn for him as one who mourns for his only son. And then they will grieve for him as one grieves for firstborn. Zechariah 13, verse 6. And one shall say unto him, what are these wounds in your hand? And then he will answer those with which I was wounded in the house of my friend. They'll know him, see him, understand that he was the Messiah when he comes back. Every eye shall see him. And not only will the Jews know, but all the nations of the earth will know and they will mourn. All those who are persecuting the Christians, even as John writes this epistle, and those who reject Jesus Christ today and wanting nothing to do with him now, they will mourn. And in the Greek language, it says that they will beat their chest in grief. You don't know him today. You will know him then. And you will beat your chest in grief and mourning that you did not love him, serve him, know him now. I don't know about you, but that's heavy. You will know him. And you will submit to him. And then in verse 8 in closing, probably one of the most intriguing verses in the entire Bible. Because it's as if, get this, God signs this letter with his own hand. It appears to be autographed by God. Notice John's writing, even so, amen, verse 7. Then in verse 8, I am the Alpha and the Omega. Notice that. It's almost like God took a pen, and while giving the revelation to John, God signs it. And he says, I am the Alpha, which is the first letter in the Greek alphabet, and the Omega, which is the last letter in the Greek alphabet. And Jesus is saying simply this, I am the totality, I am complete, I am everything. He is A to Z and everything in between. That's what it means. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. He's the Almighty. 
He is God. He's everything. He is everything. Not some things, not part. He is everything. And Paul the Apostle, that's why he could say in Philippians chapter 2. Read it with me. It's on the screen. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of the things in heaven and the things in earth and the things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's why Paul the Apostle could say that because he is the Alpha and the Omega. You have been listening to Salt and Light, a radio outreach ministry of Pastor Rodney Finch and Calvary Chapel Cary, located in Apex, North Carolina. Join Pastor Rodney Monday through Friday at this same time. For information regarding service times, you can contact us at 1-800-293-0923. That's 1-800-293-0923. Or you may listen to today's broadcast in its entirety by visiting the media library on our website at cccarry.org. We would like to thank you for tuning in to Salt and Light and pray that you have been blessed. Until next time, may you be salt and light.